Jesus' absence. If you have your copy of Scripture, if you want to find one at the back of the pew in front of you, in front of you find Matthew, please, the gospel, the good news according to Matthew, and we're going to read in just a minute from verse 11, beginning at verse 28. This is, of course, uh, we've already mentioned a couple of times, the beginning of the Advent season, Christmas season, and and the, the theme of the living Christmas tree this year is light, and uh, so the most, I guess, famous light of Christmas is the star of Bethlehem. And this Wednesday at 545, uh, Dr. Henry Everett, who's a local uh, physicist who has some wonderful uh, insights into that star and some, maybe some insights into details of Christmas, the original Christmas story that you might not have thought of. That's 545 in the fellowship hall. Join us for supper beforehand. And then next Sunday, uh, Mark mentioned as we were gathering, uh, beginning to construct the tree, we'd love to have you stay after the 1030 service next Sunday, about noon or so, that gigantic uh, tree will, uh, will go up and we'd love to have your help. Matthew 11, we're going to read in just a moment. You've seen it, at least scenes like this at Little League baseball fields. A little boy gets up to bat three times. And twice, he hits a home run. The other, two time, or the other time, the third time, though, he, he strikes out. As they're headed to the car, and after they get in the car and on the way home, all his dad can talk about is the strikeout and how could you do that and you got to work harder and you got to keep your eye on the ball and nothing is said about the two home runs, just the, just the time when he came up short. And that little boy is just a little boy, but he's already, he's already tired, he's already weary, he's, he's already tired of wondering what do I have to do to measure up to the expectations of my father, a little girl, dresses in the kinds of dresses that her mother likes, and she studies real hard because she wants her mother to think she's smart. Just a little girl, but already, already weary, already tired of wondering, what do I have to do for my mother to think I'm pretty enough, for my mother to think I'm smart enough, little girl is already tired. A man or a woman, an employee, is supervised by a micromanaging boss. Went in for the annual review, met all the goals set in last year's annual review, and yet this employee is belittled and berated by the manager, by the boss, and wonders, what do I have to do? And he or she is tired of, of, of not, one, not knowing where the goal line is, not, not one, wondering what am I supposed to do and how do I measure up to the unrealistic expectations of my supervisor. Or someone, maybe someone in this room, is wondering how do I measure up, how do I, how do I meet God's expectations? How do I measure up to him? How do I make him love me? How do I be good enough? What am I supposed to do and what am I supposed to not do? And, and maybe you grew up in a, an oppressive kind of religious system. Maybe you were part of a Bible study or maybe you were part of a church where, 
where the pulpit got pounded a lot and fingers got pointed a lot. You were told you were a sinner a lot and maybe so long and so often that you've started to, to believe that. And maybe it wasn't, a, maybe it wasn't a, a church where you heard that. Maybe you just somehow picked that up along the way that you're not good enough and, you, and you're tired. Maybe your soul is tired and, and you're wondering, how do I, what do I have to do to feel good enough. It is to you, it is to that kind of weary soul that Jesus speaks in Matthew 11. If you have your Bibles open, look at verse 28. Words in red indicating the words of Jesus. Come to me, he says, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus is talking to little boys who wonder, how will I ever meet my father's expectations? Little girls who want to be pretty enough and smart enough for Mom, to love them for employees who wonder, how am I ever going to be good enough around here? And to people who are part of an oppressive religious system where we were made to feel like we're, we're not worthy of God's love. Jesus was speaking to them, and he's speaking, he's speaking maybe to some of us here. Today we talk about two yokes. Now, a yoke is a crossbar, a heavy crossbar that fits across the shoulders of oxen with a loop that, that reaches up under their necks so that the farmer can control them. And in Jesus' day, a yoke was a symbol of submission. Today we talk about two yokes, a yoke of legalism and a yoke of grace. First, the yoke of legalism. This yoke of legalism shows up time after time in the pages of the New Testament. In Acts 15, we've been studying Acts on Wednesday nights, and we came a couple of weeks ago to Acts 15, that important chapter where the people of Jerusalem are surprised. These are Christians in the first church ever, and all of them were Jewish Christians. They've come out of the Jewish faith. But over in Antioch in Syria, this strange thing is happening. These Gentiles, these non-Jews are becoming Christians, and some of the people in that first church ever in Jerusalem are all torn up because they think they can't just come as they are. They're there are all these traditions they have to embrace. There are all these rules that they have to follow, like circumcision. And so there's the Jerusalem Council, this big business meeting in Acts 15. And, and the recovering Pharisees stand and they say, those Gentiles can't become Christians without first following, embracing our rules and traditions. And Peter is just beside himself. Peter's incensed and he stands and he says, why do we want to put a yoke around them that neither we nor our fathers are able to bear? We know that it is by grace that we are saved. Don't, don't put her up. Don't put on these folks this yoke of legalism, he says. Likewise, in Matthew 23, Jesus says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. The yoke of legalism is an obsession with rules. It is an obsession with do's and don'ts, don'ts. And it's this, this burden of always trying to be good enough. 
and, a, and the yoke of legalism uh, does some bad things to us. The yoke of legalism, this, this system where we, we're always trying to be good enough, it, it, one, it paints the wrong picture of God for us. The yoke of legalism paints the wrong picture of God. Some of you remember Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, right? You remember Jim and Tammy Faye? They had the PTL, the Praise the Lord Network, and they had uh, Heritage USA, this big Christian theme park, and, and um, Tammy Faye owned a, a, an eye makeup store. And you know, you, some of you all remember Jim and Tammy Faye. In their day, I, their heyday, probably the most widely recognized TV preachers in the, in the country. You might also remember that, that Jim was imprisoned for fraud. Well, they had a son named Jay. Jim and Tammy, Tammy Faye had a son named Jay Baker. As I was growing up, he wrote, I never thought of God as a God of love and grace. Instead, he was an I, E-Y-E, the I in the sky. That's the kind of God I grew up with, even though I was raised in the home of one of the most famous pastors in the country. I didn't know anything about grace or God's accepting love. To me, God was keeping a giant scorecard, so I better live up to his standards or get hit on the head with his big old bat. I better do everything just right or I was dead meat. Legalism paints the wrong picture of God. It paints God as the, the eye in the sky with a scorecard just waiting for you to mess up so he can mark you, maybe hit you on the head with his bat, as Jay Baker said. Legalism paints the wrong picture of God. Second, legalism puts the emphasis on the wrong, on the wrong things. Many of you know I love Philip Yancey, and he wrote that he grew up in Georgia in a, in a really, really strict church, in an ultra-conservative church, and he said, we heard a lot of things we couldn't do. He said, we couldn't go, uh, we couldn't go to bowling alleys because they served alcohol there, and we couldn't go to roller skating rinks because why they're practically dancing out there on the, on the floor. But he said, I never heard a word about human rights in South Africa. I never heard a word about civil rights at home in Georgia. A system of legalism puts the emphasis on the wrong things. You hear what you can't do, but we don't hear a lot in, in a system of legalism about treating everybody fairly. In a system of legalism, we don't hear much about grace. My hunch is some of us grew up in churches where we had a pretty clear list of things you had to do and a pretty clear list of things you could not do, and some of us never heard much about human rights or civil rights or or grace. Legalism puts the emphasis on the wrong things. It paints a bad picture of God. It puts emphasis on the wrong things. And listen, legalism also emphasizes conformity, that everybody thinks alike and acts alike, and we all toe the line. And we. So if I'm part of a legalistic church or a legalistic Sunday school class, you know, I, I'm never going to ask a question. And I dare not disagree because I want, if I'm part of a legalistic system, then I want all these people to like me. And quite frankly, I fear their wrath. And so I'm, ne I'm always going to be in step with everybody. I'm going to toe the line because legalism emphasizes conformity. We're all on the same page here, right? Legalism paints the wrong picture of God, puts the emphasis on the wrong things. And 
and emphasizes conformity. But let me real, be real clear here. I, I don't mean to dismiss and disparage our people who tend toward legalism because there are a couple of things I really admire. Number one, people who tend toward legalism, they have a passion for people without Jesus that is painfully and obviously absent from our more progressive, open-minded Christian friends. People who tend toward legalism have a passion for people without Jesus that is painfully and conspicuously absent from some of us. Don Copeland, a friend of ours, was a missionary to Nigeria. He grew up near Greenville, uh, South Carolina, near Bob Jones University. Some of you know Bob Jones, ultra-conservative, known for its rules. One day, two young men knocked on Don Copeland's door when he was a kid. Two young men, college students, asked, young man, are you saved? Don said, I didn't know what they were talking about, and I told them. So they came in, and they told me what it means to follow Jesus and led Don to faith in Jesus, transformed his life, changed the trajectory of his life. Bob Jones students. Now, Don didn't grow up to be a ruleizer, a legalist, but he said, you know, I admire them because it was the more open-minded, progressive folks in town weren't knocking on my door. Our friends who tend toward legalism have a have a passion for people without Jesus that's absent from some of us. And i tell you what else. They love uh, the Bible, and they hold it in high regard, and I appreciate that. So when they're talking about I may not always agree with their interpretation of things, but they're always talking about what, the, what does the Bible say. And, and I, I love that about people who tend toward legalism. But there is a better way. There is a better way. Galatians 5 begins, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. There is a better way. The yoke of grace. My yoke is easy, Jesus said, and my burden is light. Now, just so we're clear. Jesus said new yoke, not no yoke. Are you with me? There's still a yoke. We still submit. There still are standards. There still are rules. There still are moral and ethical rights and wrongs. <clears throat> Jesus is not giving us a pass from guidelines. In fact, the book of Jude says, do not let grace become a license for immorality. There still is a, there still is a yoke. But there's a difference. This yoke over here of legalism says, follow the rules because God's going to be mad at you if you don't. The yoke of grace says, God so loved you, he sent his son so that you wouldn't have to perish if you'd believe in him. You could have everlasting life. And, and God, if you love me that much, then then I will follow your moral and ethical standards. I will live within the confines, the parameters you've given us. Because if you love me that much, you must know what's best for me. It's still a yoke. Let's be real clear. Jesus didn't throw the yoke away. He just said, there's a better yoke. But Travis, why should there be a yoke at all? Why not just give us complete freedom and let us just do what we want? Well, let's think about that. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. Well, 
Let's talk about financial responsibility. You know, living within our means, not spending what we don't have. Well, that feels like a yoke sometimes, doesn't it? All your friends are buying things you can't afford and going places you can't afford to go. And so to be financially responsible doesn't feel easy. It feels like a yoke. But think about that. It's easier than when the repo guy comes and takes your car out of the driveway. It's easier than when the banker takes your house. It's easier than trying to get out from under a bad credit rating, right? See, a yoke. Jesus says it may not always feel easy, but it's easier than the, the alternatives. Chastity. Saying no to physical intimacy before marriage feels like a yoke. I know it does. People, when they're close and they care for each other, I know how we're wired. And so to say no to physical intimacy before marriage feels like a yoke. It feels like a burden. But it's easier than the alternative, which is a potential broken life and broken heart and unwanted pregnancy. See, this yoke yoke may not feel easy, but it's easier than the alternatives. What about being honest as a business person? My goodness, it feels like a yoke because, you know, my competitors is engaging in shady practices and gaining an unfair advantage. It feels like a yoke. Well, you know, that, that's easier than living with shame. It, it's easier than going to prison, right, or having 2020 show up at your door. It may not feel easy, but the yoke is easier than the alternatives. Spiritual disciplines, we talked about them last week. Fasting, the discipline of worship like you are now, of prayer and Bible study, those, feel, those aren't easy. There are times when you'd rather be doing something else. But it's easier than the, the alternative of anxiety and, and bad choices. Jesus didn't throw away the yoke. He didn't say there are no more guidelines or parameters or rights and wrongs. He didn't say that at all. He just said there's a better way to live within those parameters not out of fear, but, but out of overwhelming gratitude that, that God loves us with this unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, unrelenting love that we call grace. Grace. The New Testament always comes back to grace. Carrie and I have a new uh, puppy. She's six, she's six months old. I showed her picture of the 815 service. I wish I could, have, I could show you her picture. Uh, I call her Little Miss Missy Fluffin' Stuff. She's just a cuter, cuter than any of your dogs. She's, she's, uh, <laughs> we love, so for a long time I've been wanting a dog and um, Carrie wasn't all keen, so keen on the idea. Then she, she said, uh, yeah, let's, let's get a dog. And so I told her she could get any kind she wanted. So she she did some research, decided she wanted a Bichon, which is a, a little dog. Now, I, I know what some of you are thinking, but Travis, a, a burly, macho guy like you, you got a little fluffy dog. It's true. It's true. I'm confident in my machismo, so it's okay. <laughs> but I, I got to name her. We named her Grace, Gracie. My favorite word is grace, so we named her Gracie. So uh, we went to, Carrie decided we're going to get a Bichon, so I Googled Bichons near me, and we found this guy raising Bichons, and we went to see, see them. They were four weeks old, and um, Carrie wanted a little female, so 
he brought out two females. And you know how it's, what it's like if you've ever picked out a puppy. You know, they're so cute. And, but out of those two, there was one that we, you know how it is, we just kind of connected with one. And so we said, this is Gracie. And the, uh, the guy there, he, he took some scissors and, and he grabbed her tail. I got kind of nervous. But then he, he just cut the end to where the hair is, cut, cut it off in a square so that when we come, because they look so much alike when they're little, so that when we come back, we'd know which one is Gracie. So when, when she was big enough to go and we, we went to pick her up, She'd gotten a little bigger now, and I noticed something I hadn't noticed before. Her, her right eye looks like it was painted by an artist. It's got this, these beautiful markings, looked like it, with permanent, um, what's that black stuff that women put on their eyes, that mascara, whatever, whatever that, eyeliner, eyeliner, thank you. I, it was one of the bases said eyeliner. It was, uh, <laughs> so... She's got this beautiful right eye, but her left eye looks kind of funny. It, it, ha, it doesn't have those markings. It looks kind of albino-ish. It it's pink. And, and I said something. I just made a comment about her eye. I know, he said. And he said, quite honestly, the, the fur, the coat of the other one is thicker. The other little girl, he still, still had two little females, said the other one's coat is thicker and he said, um, he said, you know, if I were you, I, I'd take the other one. He said, I've already sold the, the, the one, uh, one. I've already sold both of them, but the other ones haven't seen them. They're just going to take the one that you leave, and when they come, they'll never know the difference. He was being nice. He was being nice to us. And he said, if I were you, I, the other one's prettier. I, I'd take the other one. Carrie and I looked at each other and looked at that little ball of fur in our hands, and we said, but, but this is Gracie. How do you name a dog Gracie and then reject her because she's got a blemish? I mean, her name is not flawlessy. <laughs> it's not unblemishedy. It's not pick me because I'm perfecty. It's Gracie. Now, again, I told you, she's cute. By the way, I do have a picture of her on my phone. I wish I had it here. I, it's the screenshot. I mean, it's when I open my phone, that's what I see. So I know some, what some of you are thinking. Why don't you have the picture of your grandkids on your phone? Well, if my grandkids were as cute as Gracie, I'd have their picture <laughs> on my phone. That's not true. My grandkids are prettier than all your grandkids, so they... And Gracie's cuter than all your dogs and some of your grandkids, so you know that. <laughs> How do you name a dog Gracie and then reject her because she has a blemish? I think God has a nickname for you. Even you big burly guys, I think God's nickname for you is Gracie. Not unblemishedy, not flawlessy, not pick me because I'm perfecty. He loves you with an unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, and unrelenting love. And, and, and the yoke of grace says, if I'm loved that deeply, if I'm loved that unconditionally, 
if God picked me, even with my flaws, then I want to I want to put on, I want to take on that yoke of the parameters that he, that he gives us because of, because of grace. There's a yoke of legalism and there's a yoke of grace. And Jesus said in the beginning of this text, he said, come, come to me. If you're tired, if you're tired of not measuring up, if you're tired of, of not meeting the standards, if your soul is weary, you feel worn down and worn out and beaten up and beaten down, Jesus says, come, come to me. Remember Jay Baker, I mentioned him a moment ago, Jim and Tammy Faye's son. When his dad, uh, the preacher Jim Baker, was, um, was imprisoned, Jay Baker was a young teenager, and he became a rebel. By age 17, he was already an alcoholic. At age 17, he was kicked out of school because of bad behavior. But his friend and his family took, them in, took him in, his friend's name was Donnie. And they just took him in because he, he didn't have anywhere to go. Donnie and his family didn't judge me, he said. They didn't have to. I was depressed and overwhelmed enough by my own condemnation. I was eaten up by guilt and couldn't enjoy life. They didn't have to tell him he was a bad kid. He'd been beating himself up for a long time. Donnie began to talk to Jay about grace, about God's unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, unrelenting love. And listen, he said, he later wrote, that was the grand aha for me. He'd lived in a system of of legalism, of ruleism, where do's and don'ts are paramount. And, he, and when he learned about grace, it was the grand aha. It was the grand aha, he wrote, I'd always wished God were more accessible and not just a cosmic traffic cop wanting to ticket me. Then I discovered the shocking secret, God loves me just the way I am. And that, he said, that's what enabled me to stop drinking. It wasn't people shaming him or telling him he ought to do better. It was the grand aha. Because he said, I, I started going to a 12-step program, not caring what other people thought. To that point, he said, I worried about what people would think if I went to a 12-step program. They, I figured they'd, they'd look down on me. But when he had the grand aha, when he had the, the grand aha of grace, it, what other people thought wasn't nearly as important. It transformed his life. He didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't shame. It was love. The likes of which you and I don't know. Wouldn't know if it were not for Christmas. 
So where are you on the, on the spectrum? Are you living over here under a yoke of legalism where you're just trying to earn God's favor? Or are you living somewhere over here where you understand and are overwhelmed by His grace? Come to me, Jesus said, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, beaten down, beaten up, worn down, worn out, come to me and you will find rest, he said, for your souls. 132 is the hymn that we're going to sing. 